بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين الحمد لله we continuing again um, with our fiqh of hajj and we left off last week we finished off the was the umrah correct um, so last week we started from entering Mecca we spoke about the tawaf we spoke about the sa'i cutting or shaving the head and that we stopped you were here last week. That's where we stopped, right? Khair. So at the end of last week's notes, did I upload my recording? I didn't. Sorry, man. I will then upload last week's one. That's my bad. Taib. The end of last week's notes was, we basically said, once the person doing tamattu finishes his umrah, right? He either shaves his head if he has enough time, if he doesn't have enough time, he will just trim his head. And the woman, they cut, how much? One finger tip, right? Of hair. Take one finger tip, snip it, that's it, done. Right? Then you're out of ihram, you can change your clothing. All of the prohibitions of ihram falls away. Right? All of that falls away. All the rulings pertaining to ihram falls away. Right? So you're like a normal person, you know, normal clothing, etc. Until which day? The? The 8th of Dhul Hijjah. The 8th of Dhul Hijjah, which is known as what? What's the day called in Arabic? Yawmut? So the ta? Tarwiyah. Yawmut Tarwiyah is the name. Okay? Yawmut Tarwiyah is on the 8th. This is the day where you will now do that rituals preparing yourself for ihram once again okay so the same process what we spoke about that you do before you start the umrah you do it once again if you want to take a ghusl you take your ghusl you should take a ghusl um, and everything else that we spoke about the males can perfume themselves before they go into the ihram and so forth and then this will be done from where from your hotel. If you stay in Mecca, you do it there. If you stay in Aziziyah, you do it there. Right? Put on your ihram. And then what are we going to say? Oh, now your intention is for Hajj. So the Tamattu person, he's first said, Labbaik Allahumma Umrah. Right? He did his Umrah finished. Now he's going for Hajj. Now he will say, Labbaik Allahumma Hajjan. Yeah, I am our Allah for the purpose of Hajj. And then you proceed to Mina. Then you proceed to Mina. That's actually the correct pronunciation. It's not Mina. It's actually Mina. Mina. Okay? Not a major issue though. So we go to Mina. Right? Probably by bus. Most people. Again, doesn't make a difference. You want to walk. It's okay. Some You can see things along the way. But again... Doesn't make a difference. You take a bus and you follow your group, right? What is Mina? Mina is what they call tent city. 
there's only tents, right? So there's you basically tents and there's road. That's that's about it. With a few shops in between, and of course the jamarat are found in Mina. The jamarat which are which are going to pelt is found in Mina, right? But on the eighth, there's no specific ritual to be done. We just go to Mina, and the point is to spend the day and the night there. So in the morning is the best time to proceed. You pray Fajr at wherever you are, in your hotel, in the local masjid. Near to the hotel, there are masajid. You pray in those masajid, right? For the men, best, go to the masjid. For the women, pray in your rooms. That's the best for the women, okay? And then all come together. Again, the group will advise you. This is the time you're going to leave and so forth. Get your things together and you proceed with the group towards Mina, right? Um, special services go one way, non-special services go another way. What's the difference between the two? I don't know if the group, I'm sure they do inform you. From my experience, the difference between the two is special services are a lot closer to the Jamarat than non-special services. So the walking is a lot less. Because it's literally, if this is, it's like just there. You just walk out of your thing and then a couple of meters down the road and you're there. The other one is a long distance to walk before you get to the Jamarat. As for inside the tents, probably more space inside the special services. You get your own little, well, non-special services now as well. You know, the changes every year. So it's difficult for me to actually say because every year it gets upgraded and so forth and all the knows best. Um, so we get to Mina on the 8th, which is known as Yawmut Tarbiyah. And what do you do on this day? You will pray your salah. Yes? And so I was questioned about shortening the prayers. Yes. You go to the masjids, they will that also be shortened prayers or will it be? Look, in Azizia, this applies to Mina. Right? When you're in Azizia, pray with the masjid. The masjid is not going to pray normal salah because it's locals that's leading the salah. Yeah. So when you pray with a local imam, you in the masjid, you pray with him in full. Understand? This, when, when they say you're short in the prayers, applies to when you're in Mina now. Now you're going for Hajj. When you're in Mina, now these rules apply. Before that, pray in the masjid. Pray in full. Always try to pray in congregation. But so you mentioned going to the mosque, when you go to the mosque close by, why in Mina? I know. Before you go to Mina, I said. Oh. So for Fajr, I said on that day, Okay. For Fajr, the men should try to go to the masjid. And the woman, you pray in, in your in your room. After Fajr, they're going to leave. Maybe 9, 10 o'clock in the morning, they'll give you a time. Right? Then when we go to Mina, you're going to get there, preferably before Dhuhr. If you get there later, there's no harm. Right? But you try to get there before that, again, this is group dependent. So you go with the flow. You get there, and you will pray the salah in short without jamr. So each salah in its time. Right? Zuhur, Asr, Maghrib, Isha. In its time, in its waqt. But you shorten the four rakaats to two. Maghrib obviously remains the same. So you are like a traveler basically. But you're not going to make jamr. Understand? And this is how the Rasulullah did it. He didn't make jamr. Rather, he just shortened the, 
um, salahs. Advice for this day and evening, the night, which is basically the night, the night of the night, correct? The main thing is rest, relax. If it means you chill the whole day, chill the whole day. Eat your food, drink your fluids, stay hydrated. This is of utmost importance. Look after your health. And this actually applies before, before the eight as well, right? Don't tire yourself out. Don't exhaust yourself. You want to be in your best state on Hajj. <clears throat> so we said from now until Hajj, you should already be getting into a routine, a type of, you know, get a little bit fit. Start to walk in the mornings, do something where you can, you know, you're used to exerting yourself a little bit more. Um, boost your immune system. I mean, especially now with this virus and so forth, it's of utmost importance. And on Hajj as well. Because what happens on Hajj? You've got millions of people from around the globe coming to a small town called Makkah and Azizia and Mina. It's a small place. What do they each one brings with him? His own germs and his own bacteria and his own... So lots of people get sick on Hajj. Because you, you pick up something. And lots of people get sick after Hajj. After the whole rush, you start to calm down. Then you get a flu or you get a cough or you get... That's normal. It happens. And you're breathing in fumes and from the buses and lots of things. So a mask like this is actually probably handy to have with you. Lots of people wear it on Hajj. If you have a good one, it's probably quite handy as well to have. Um, so boosting your immune system, eating, drinking, resting is of utmost importance. Right up until this day of the eighth, you want to be resting, taking it easy and so forth. And it's about getting yourself in the frame of mind. From now, but it's a build-up. On the 8th, is like, really, tomorrow is Arafah. Tomorrow is the... T- this is why we came. This is the main day. Because Hajj is Arafah. So the Hadith says, Al-Hajj Arafah. Hajj is Arafah. It's all about... That's the pinnacle of Hajj. That's the main part of Hajj. So you want to be in the best possible state on that day. In terms of your faith, in terms of your health, in terms of your resting, everything you try your best to build up to that point. Then, we go to Arafah. So you sleep in Mina, you wake up Fajr, right? Now, in the tents, they make Salah and Jama'ah. Each tent has a Jama'ah and Salah, you make with the Jama'ah, right? In the morning, you make Fajr. You wait until sunrise, again, get your things together, um, relax, have some breakfast, whatever is needed, freshen up, and off you go to Arafah, right? We will travel from Mina to Arafah. If this is Mina, a couple of kilometers down the road is Arafah, okay? Some people will do a walking hajj, others will do a non-walking hajj, right? Again... If you get into the bus, there is no harm or sin upon you. If you feel it's hot or you need to be in the bus, get in the bus. Very few people do a walking hajj because of the heat and because the day is long and so forth. So unless you're super fit, if you're not super fit, don't do it. If you know you're fit enough, then you can do a walking hajj. But otherwise, get in the bus, right? Um, the sunnah is to stop in a place called Namirah. Namirah. 
till just before Zuhr. Right? This is what the Prophet ﷺ did. But if you cannot do that, then we do not do that. Again, realistically speaking, this is not going to happen. Um, it does not matter because staying in Amir is a sunnah, but it's not obligatory. When the sun passes, it's zenith. Right? Yani it's now Zuhr time. We pray Zuhr and Asr together. Now you're going to make jam on the day of Arafah. So Zuhr and Asr, like a full-blown traveler, two for Zuhr, two for Asr, and you're done. Don't delay the Asr. Don't delay the Asr. Don't think to make Zuhr now, four rakats and Asr later, in the time of Wukuf. is better. It's not better. This is the way Rasulullah Sallallahu did it. That's how you do it. That's the best way. Understand? So you pray two for Dhuhr, two for Asr. What's the hikmah in this? What's the hikmah in this? It gives you more time to make dua. Wukuf is about dua and dhikr. You understand? It gives you more time to make that dua. That's the hikmah in it. After Salah, now it's time for Wukuf. Now firstly, Wukuf means standing, right? But many of the scholars have explained it does not mean you have to stand on Arafah when you make dua. It doesn't mean, it means it's a plane, it's a place of standing, but not literally standing. So you don't have to stand and make dua. If you think about it, from Zuhr to Maghrib is a long time. And it's desert, it's heat, it's everything. For you to stand for one hour, you're going to lose so much energy. You're going to finish yourself before the, you know, this is where hikmah comes in again. Find a nice secluded spot. Find a nice, you can walk around, you'll see that you'll enter into a campsite basically. Right? This is your zone. But it will be mixed. It won't just be your South African group or special services African group only. You will go in there and there will be other countries in there as well. There may be like four or five countries in there. Right? This whole zone, you can now wander freely. You can go sit under a tree somewhere, go sit behind the tent, go sit outside the tent, whatever, find a space in the shade, take a piece of cardboard, sit on the floor. This is what you'll see people are doing. Because it gives you that privacy, that time just between you and Allah where you can just sit and make dua, take your wife with you, you sit there, she sits next to you, and you make dua. You don't have to sit in a tent, you don't have to do anything specific. It's a time for dua especially. The best of dua is the dua of Arafah. So the hadith says, the best of dua is the dua of Arafah. Right? So you don't have to be standing, you can sit nicely and, you know, Sit here, later on go sit there. But it's about balancing that time and making the most of that time um, as best as you can. So, after the prayer, he should devote his time to making dhikr and dua and beseeching Allah and praying as he likes. Again, there's nothing specific to recite. Okay? Raising his hands and facing the Qibla, even if the mountain of Arafah is behind him. Because the Sunnah is to face the Qibla and not the mountain. Now, raising the hands is part of the etiquette of dua. Right? The hadith says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is hayyun karimun. 
Two attributes of Allah. Allah is shy and is generous. And he becomes shy towards his slave when he raises his hands unto him that Allah does not respond to that dua. That Allah lets him drop his hands empty. Allah is too shy to allow this to happen. That's what the hadith says. So, etiquette of dua, raise the hands. Understand? Facing the Qibla is also an etiquette of dua. So you try and do this. Try your best. That's the Qibla. Okay, I'll just sit in that direction. However you sit, sit cross legs, sit on your, like you're sitting in a tahiyat, sit on a chair, anything, it doesn't matter. Just try to face the Qibla, raise your hands as much as you can. If your hands get tired, drop your hands. It's not an obligation. Do it as much as, as best as you can. You understand? Um, and also, this is how you raise the hands. This is the sunnah way of raising the hands. So not this, and not this, and this, or anything, but this is the sunnah of raising the hands. You understand? So you try and sit like this as much as you can, as best as you can, okay? I think a good thing maybe to go through is, try and read up on the etiquettes of making dua. The general etiquettes regarding making dua. You know, a number of things from the sunnah, where the Prophet taught us how you should make dua. Praise Allah first, send salutations upon the Prophet call upon Allah with his names and attributes. There's a number of things, you know, that, uh, that increases the chances of your dua being accepted. That's something good to read up on. And if you remind me in the group, I will send something later on, inshallah. So someone can just remind me either tonight or tomorrow or in the week, anytime, and I will, I will send something in the group. Um... Face the Qibla, not the mountain. Yes? You know, you're saying it's a sunnah to face the Qibla with dua. Yes. Many times I see in the masjids, uh, in the Quintus of Salah, the Sheikh normally turn away from the Qibla and give them dua or something like that. Okay. The reason for that is two things. Firstly, whenever the Prophet would lead the Salah, so this is for the Imam. He would say, Astaghfirullah, 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 Allahumma anta salam, wa minka salam, tabarakta dal jalali wal ikram, and then he would turn around. So it was the sunnah of the Prophet immediately after the salah, he would turn to face the congregation. So that's a sunnah for the Imam. And that's why the Imams do it. The Prophet used to do this. Secondly, the actual etiquette after dua, or should I say after salah, is not to raise the hands. So, you see, the issue of raising the hands is for general du'as. You know, du'a that you make, if I decide right now I'm going to make du'a to Allah, you should raise the hands. Then there are specific times where we make du'as. Right? Specific du'as, specific times where it's not a sunnah to raise the hands. I'll give you a simple example. When you enter the masjid, you make a du'a. Correct? We did this du'a was last week. Bismillah It's a dua. Oh Allah, open the doors of your mercy. Open for me the doors of your mercy. When you leave the masjid, you say, Allah, Allah, I ask you of your favor. Allah, protect me from shaitan, the rejected one. These are duas. But nobody walks in the masjid and says, Allah, 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 Allah,
Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-khubati wal-khaba'is ghufranaka We don't do this. Why not? Rasulullah never did it. Nor the Sahaba, nor did anybody ever do it. Are you with me? And there are many other examples of this. It's a dua. So if somebody says, so shouldn't I raise their hands when I'm entering, when I'm exiting? We say, no, you shouldn't. Because those are specific du'as attached to certain times and places and so forth. Understand? Another example, where you will see people raising their hands, but it's actually, they shouldn't raise their hands, is the du'a after the adhan. It's a specific du'a, a specific time. There is no hadith that Tawassam raised his hands after the du'a of the adhan. Another example, in the khutbah of Jumu'ah, Rasulullah in fact, there's a hadith in Sahih Muslim where there was a, one of the ministers of the, of the city. He stood on the mimbar and he gave the khutbah. This was after the death of the Prophet some years later. He gave the khutbah. And in the khutbah, you know, the Imam makes a dua. Allahumma a'izha al-Islam al-Muslimin wa adhilla shirka al-Mushrikeen. And this minister stood there and he said, Allahumma a'izha al-Islam al-Muslimin wa shirka al And he made the dua. When he was done with the khutbah, there were still some Sahaba who were alive. The Sahaba went to him and said, How evil are your hands? How evil are your hands? Because whenever the Prophet did the khutbah, he never raised his hands, he used to point with his finger. Now look at the Sahaba, how strict they were when it comes to opposing the Sunnah of the Prophet. So they actually rebuked this man for this. This hadith in Sahih Muslim. There's no doubt over its authenticity. So we say for the khutbah, the Imam is not supposed to raise hands, nor is the congregation. It's a specific time, specific, but general du'as, raise the hands. General du'as, you raise the hands. You understand? Um, so du'a in Arafah is general. You sit there, you make du'a, you raise the hands. Now coming to the issue of the salah. After the salah, again, if you look at all of the, what is recited after the salah, it's again not the sunnah to raise the hands. This is not known to most people because of the tradition. So, there is no hadith. And again, I challenge you, ask the shaykh who says you must to provide the hadith. Wherein the Prophet or the Sahaba ever made dua after salah and raised the hands. So the sunnah after the salah is, the imam turns around, the congregation will still face whichever they, way they want to face, and each one is supposed to make his adhkar individually. So you Allahumma anta salam, you say by yourself, you subhanallah 33 times, alhamdulillah, Allahu akbar. Each one is supposed to do this by himself. You understand? That's the actual way it was done in the time of the Prophet This only became a later on thing where everybody sits and the Imam makes a dua and everybody says Ameen. But there's a lot of problems to this. Number one, it's not sunnah. Number two, what happens? 99% of the people don't know what they're supposed to recite after the salah. 99% of Muslims don't know the sunnah du'as after salah. What is the sunnah du'as after salah? Besides what I said already. The Ayat kursi the three quls. Then, this la ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lahu al-mulk wa lahu al-hamdu wa ala kulli shayin qadeer. What comes after that? 
That's only once. You say that once and then you say, Allahumma la mani'a lima a'tayt, wa la mu'tiya lima manahat, wa la anfa'udha al-jadi minka jad. Then you say, la ilaha illallah, wahtahu la sharika, la lahu al-mulk wa lahu al-hamd, wa ala kulli shayin qadir, la hawla wa la quwata illa billah, la ilaha illallah, wa la na'budu illa iyaah, lahu al-ni'mat, wa lahu al-fadl, wa lahu al-thanahu al-hasan, la ilaha illallah, mukhlisina lahu al-deen, wa lahu kariha al-kafir. This is examples of sunnah al-kar to be decided after every single salah. I can say 99.9% of Muslims don't know this. Why not? Because the tradition is after the salah, the imam must make the dua. And he doesn't even say it. So he's making all the other duas in the world. And the people are saying, amin, amin, amin. At the end, we will get up and we go. So this has now become the sunnah. And the true sunnah has been lost. Are you with me? So there's a lot of issues. The other issue is if the imam makes the dua loud of the, of the mics, anybody who comes late, he can't focus on the salah because he's listening to this dua that's going on and on and on and on and on. And there's many other issues on this. And Allah knows best. The long and short of this is it's not a sunnah to raise the hands after the, after the salah. And secondly, it's a sunnah for the imam to face the congregation when he's done. Okay? Is that too, many, too much detail? Uh, I've even heard the Imam saying that the dua is part of salah. Part of salah. No, it's not part of salah. It cannot be. Once you make the tasdeem, your salah is done. Even if you say nothing after the salah, you just got up and you left, your salah is done. It's valid, it's accepted. The adhkar is a sunnah to be done after the salah. You understand? It's, it's, to say it's a part of the salah, then it makes it even worse. That you are now changing the way it's done. Because that means you're changing the salah. So if they say that, then it makes the affair even worse. Tayyib. Um, where were we? The Prophet ﷺ stood by the mountain and said, I'm standing here, but all of Arafah is the place of standing. This is a very important hadith. And you'll see it coming up throughout the notes. Which means he arrived at the place next to the mountain. But he proclaimed and said, I am standing here, but all of Arafah is a place of standing. What's he trying to teach us? You don't have to stand here. This is just a place where I'm standing. You don't have to stand here. Anywhere in Arafah is good. Right? Just remember this. Some people go to that mountain. We're going to get there. Right? Most of the prophets who are in that great place of standing was... لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد وهو على كل شيء قدير. That's a dua we all know, right? That is one of the dikers and the duas that the Prophet said the most. So now, that's actually two things we've mentioned. Well, the one we mentioned a while back, which is what? Okay, let me revise that part. When we doing Umrah. You put on the ihram, what's the sunnah to decide? Talbiyah. The talbiyah. So you start the labbaik, right? Up until you get where? To the? Konya. To the haram. Meaning till the tawaf. As you're about to start the tawaf, talbiyah comes to an end. Tawaf, sa'i, cut your head, ihram, umrah is done. You spend time in Mecca until umrah starts. Once you... Go back into Ihram for Hajj. Talbiyah starts again. Talbiyah starts again. 
until you pelt the jamarah, which is on the 10th day. So that's the number one sunnah now. We are busy with the talbiyah as often, as much as you can. Here's another sunnah for the day of Arafah, which is La ilaha illallah. We are going to call this the tahleel. In Arabic, tahleel means to say La ilaha illallah. Like tasbih means to say subhanallah. Tahbib means to say alhamdulillah. Takbir means to say Allahu Akbar. Tahleel means to say La ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika la. Or even just La ilaha illallah. Okay? So this is another sunnah to say this as much as you can. The talbiyah as much as you can. And then whatever else you want to do. As much dua as you want. Advice from many people is write your du'as down. Take a book. These are the important things I, I don't want to forget. And I really want to make on Arafah. So for this child, this is what they need. This child of mine is not well. I need to make a lot of du'a for this sickness that he has. And for this one, can't have children. This one, you know. And for this child, can't find a husband. This, that, and for specific things. And in general, for your kids in general. For my parents, this is what I want for my mother. This is what I want for my father. And so forth. It's, a, it's a something good. Because on the day, you're going to forget. Mm-hmm. You get overwhelmed. You know, and then you think, ah, oh, I've got to make the offer this. You know, if you can, jot, jot it down. No problem. So you take it out one moment as you're sitting there and you start to make the offer these things. I don't see a problem with this. Right? Some people will say, can I send you a dua? Make this dua and I'll offer for me. No problem, inshallah. Right? So it's not a bad thing to do. Um, so what? How, how do we balance it? You do as much of this as you can whenever you want. Talbiya, as much as you can, whenever you want. Mix and match, right? Mix and match. And then you make your du'as. If you want to read some Qur'an on that day, it's no problem. Tahmeed, tasbih, salawat upon the Prophet All good. All good, right? The pilgrim is tired. He wants to have a break by talking to his companions about useful things. Or by reading from some useful books. Especially things that have to do with the generosity and great bounty of Allah. In order to increase his hopes on that day, this is good. So if you get tired, right? There's no problem with sitting and talking to your wife for a little bit. You know, this guy sitting next to you for a bit. But don't talk about sports. Mm. I don't talk about news. And don't talk about worldly things. You know? Talk about maybe what's happening there or just general reminders or something, but talk about something that's good and beneficial. Don't waste your time. This is the, the best time of your life. The most valuable time. This is not a time to waste. Okay? Then he can go back to making dua and praying to Allah. He should strive to make the most of the end of the day by making dua. The best of dua is dua made the day of Arafah. So again, this is why it's important to preserve your energy. That time, as the time is getting less and less and less and less, you see the sun starting to set. That's when you need to increase as much as you can. And you can think of it like desperation. You know, the time's running out. So you really start to beg Allah. And you really start to dig deep in your du'as and to speak to Allah directly. And again, I said, du'a can be done in any language. If you have certain du'as that you understand in Arabic, decide it, no problem. But the general du'as make it in your language that you understand where it hits you. You speak it from the bottom of your heart. Up until the sun sets. 
The moment the sun is set, the time is up. The time is up. So the best part of the day is the end, right? Um, some of the virtues of Arafah. What's happening with our time? Where are we? Tayyib, I'm going to run through this quickly. The virtues of the day of Arafah. It's the day on which the religion was perfected and Allah's favor was completed. So a Jewish man came to Umar ibn Khattab عنه, and said that there's a verse in your book which you recite. If we had a, a verse like this, we would have taken that day which was revealed as a day of Eid. So Umar said, what verse are you talking about? And he said, الْيَوْمَ أَكْمَلْتُ لَكُمْ دِينَكُمْ وَأَتْمَمْتُ عَلَيْكُمْ نِعْمَتِي وَرَضِيتُ لَكُمْ إِسْلَامَ دِينَةِ Where Allah says, on this day, I have completed الْيَوْمَ أَكْمَلْتُ لَكُمْ دِينَكُمْ I have completed your religion for you. That the deen is complete. وَأَتْمَمْتُ عَلَيْكُمْ نِعْمَتِي And I perfected my favor upon you. And I am pleased with Islam as a religion for you. Allah is stating that the deen is it's complete. It's perfect. And he, this is the religion that he's pleased with for us. He's chosen this religion for us. Um, obviously, this is a powerful ayah. And it proves that Islam is perfect and complete. No additions can be tolerated. So Umar said, I, we know the verse, and I know when the verse was revealed. It was revealed on the day of Arafah, which was on a, on a Friday when they made Hajj with the Prophet So Allah chose this day to reveal that verse. That was the day he sealed off the religion from any additions. The Imams of Tafsir, they say, no new ruling came into effect after this ayah was revealed. So as you know, during the life of the Prophet things were legislated and at times removed. You understand? There was actually a room for abrogation. Things were allowed and it became not permissible. This is the time the Prophet said this is permissible. Later on he said it's not permissible. You understand? And so forth. Once this ayah was revealed, no more of that. It's complete, it's done now. Um, it's also a day of Eid for the people who are in that place. The Prophet said in the Hadith, the day of Arafah, the day of Nahr, which is the day of sacrifice. And the days of Tashriq are Eids for us. For the people of Islam, these are the days of eating and drinking. So, which day is this now? The 9th, the 10th, and the next three days, the five days of Hajj, are days of eating and drinking. What does this prove for the Haji? What does this tell you? What ruling would you do? Could you de- derive from this? No fasting is no allowed. It's a day of eating and drinking. So you should not fast. Some scholars say it's haram. Some scholars say it's makruh to fast. Especially on Arafah. So the fasting, the virtue of fasting Arafah is for the people who are not on Hajj. Those who are on Hajj, it's not a sunnah for them to fast. The Prophet did not fast on his hajj, right? And clearly, as we can see from this ahadith, it's not a sunnah to fast for hajj. Fasting on this day is an expiation for two years, this we know, right? But this is for the non-hajji, the non-pilgrim. It expiates for the sins of the previous year and of the coming year. So those who are not on hajj, this is your opportunity to earn reward. This is your opportunity to get forgiveness, just like the hujjahs are getting whilst they are um, on Arafah. It's their forgiveness of sins, freedom from the fire, and pride in the people who are there. 
The hadith in Sahih Muslim says that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, There is no day on which Allah frees more people from the fire than the day of Arafah. No day where Allah frees more people from the fire than the day of Arafah. So it's a day where you beg Allah for this. Specifically, you can now ask Allah, free me from the fire. My family from the fire. My children, my mother, my father, my friends, my this. Beg Allah to free you and those who are close to you from the fire. He comes close. This is Allah. Allah comes close and expresses his pride to the angels. So Allah boasts to the angels and says, what do these people want? Implying that whatever they want, they're going to get. Ask them what they want so I can give them. So whatever is being asked on that day, you will see it answered in your lifetime. You will see it answered. Uh, if not, Allah knows best, of course, right? But this is the best type of dua. It was reported from Ibn Umar that the Prophet said, Allah expresses his pride to his angels at the time of Isha on the day of Arafah. So the night after Arafah, about the people of Arafah, he says, Look at my slaves who have come unkept and dusty. They've come unkept and dusty. And again, this is normal. You're in that ihram now for two days. It's a, it's a desert. You're sitting in the sand, you this, you that. Ihram gets white, it gets dirty, and so forth. And this is why some ulama say, it's better not to always change the ihram. Because looking like that is sometimes a good thing. Allah boasts about it to his angels. Look what they are doing for my sake. You understand? There's virtue in that, and therefore, uh, Allah accepts their du'as and so forth. Is there virtue about Hajj being on a Friday? Arafah on a Friday. They call it Hajjul Akbar. Right? There are weak and fabricated ahadith that say if your Hajj is on a Friday, your Arafah is on a Friday, you get 70 times the reward. This is not, this is not authentic. Right? These are inauthentic ahadith. Although, some scholars did say it's, it's better. Why? Because the virtue of a Friday. Huh? You're combining the two. So firstly, the Prophet's Hajj was on a Friday. Something similar to his Hajj, which was the best of Hajj. Secondly, Friday has its own virtues. It has special virtues. Right? And everybody around the world is increasing in worship naturally on a Friday. So it's a greater day. For example, another example would be the hour of acceptance. Sa'atul Istijaba happens every Friday. Which is the hour before? Maghrib. The last hour on a Friday. Some scholars say it's between Asr and Maghrib. The time, that period there, is the time when du'as are accepted. Throughout the year. So wherever you are, it's the time you're supposed to increase in du'a. Those who are on Arafah, that's their best time as well. Plus it's Sa'atul Istijaba. So double whammy. You understand? Um... It's an Eid. Friday is also an Eid for the Muslims. It's like, a, you know. So, so they basically said from this angle, it's still better. But the 70 times and those things are not, that's not authentic. Okay. Some of the mistakes that pilgrims make in Arafah are as follows. Wow. Yes. So then, the can they fast on that Friday? That is a major issue of dispute. But... What we would say is, it's permissible to fast on that Friday. Because you are not fasting for the Friday, you're fasting for Arafah. Some ulama say it's not permissible. Some ulama, even the Saturday, they say, 
you should not fast because of the prohibition on fasting on a Friday and also on a Saturday because the Jews used to take the holy day as a Saturday but most scholars say most scholars say it's okay because your intention is not for that your intention is for Arafah other scholars say to be on the side of safety you should fast the Thursday with the Friday because that way you are not fasting the day by itself alone you are fasting either one day before it or one day after it then that's best obviously you can't fast the next day because the next day will be Eid so you can fast the day before it and that day to be on the safe side but otherwise if you fast with the intention of Arafah alone be it now that's okay understand um, mistakes people make some people stop outside of Arafah some people and again I think we will be safe from this because you go with your camp and your group but it happens with locals and sometimes the illegals they don't have a camp so they just sit, set up tent somewhere they take their own tent with them put it up and they sit and they you know but sometimes they're actually out of, outside of the border but again today you will see big signs up you are entering Arafah now under this board when you're in you are leaving Arafah now as you step past that line you're out so they've boarded the whole place up so it becomes easy but Hajj is Arafah so if you're outside of that border you are not on Arafah which means your Hajj will not be accepted if you're sitting outside the whole time if you came in for a bit okay that's fine but make sure you're inside again that shouldn't be an issue for us secondly some people busy themselves with dua at the end of the day so you see them facing towards the mountain by which the messenger of Allah sallallahu stood people are affectionate towards the mountain emotional about the mountain Jabal Arafah they call it sorry they call it Jabal Rahma the mount of mercy even that name is not authentic it's not like it's a the prophet said it's Jabal Rahma right it's not Jabal Rahma it's just the name people gave it it's a normal mountain you understand face the Qibla don't face the mountain you will see the mountain is full of people from the top to the bottom everybody's fighting and mourning for a place on the mountain or around the mountain that's the busiest part of Arafah the mountain is no better than any other part in Arafah as long as you're on Arafah you're all the same you understand don't face the mountain when you make dua face the Qibla face the, the Qibla this is of utmost importance um, and again, the Prophet explained this way, he said, I'm only standing here, but the rest of Arafah is a place to stand. This is what he was trying to make clear. It's not about where I'm standing specifically. This is just where I, made, where I ended up. You understand? Um, and point number three again is, some people believe you have to go to that spot. So what happens is, everybody crowds for that spot. And some people leave their camps and they go walking and they get lost. And they go through all difficulty and to get to that spot. This is the worst thing that you can do. Don't do that. Relax, sit on your spot. Anywhere is the same. As long as you're inside the boundary of Arafah, you are in the best place. Right? Number four is, some pilgrims think that the mountain by which the Prophet ﷺ stood is holy and special. So they climb it up, climb up and seek blessings from its stones and soil. Right? This is again is an incorrect practice there is no need to take blessings from the sand or from the soil or from the stones it's an ordinary mountain 
anyway on Arafah is the same. In fact, this is not just a minor, this is a major problem now. Because number one, this becomes an issue of innovation, seeking blessings from something which is not necessarily blessed. Allah is the one who puts blessings into things. So the Kaaba, Allah made blessed. The black stone, Allah gave it that, that status. That is sunnah to, 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 to kiss. The Zamzam is a sunnah to drink. There's shifa in it. This is established. But if I gave you this now and I said, this blessed hand sanitizer, if you put this on your hands, then you'll be protected from all diseases for the next week. And now I'm selling this for 5,000 rand. I just made it up on the spot. But if I wore a big enough turban and I said that I was born in Makkah and my lineage is that of the Prophet, people probably come and buy it. Because that's how people are. People are emotional and they attach themselves, you know, like this emotionally. They want something physical to feel. They want something, perhaps it's that, something tangible that they can hold on to and say, you know what, this, this I got from Makkah. You know, this I got from the Jabal Rahmah. But in reality, it's like a stone outside. You know, that's what it is. So, this is why knowledge is so important. To counter that type of thinking. And sometimes Iblis does this to people. That instead of doing the right thing, they are more attached to all the other things which actually has no meaning to it, no value to it, no actual, you know, blessings behind it. And that's what I said last week about looking at the Maqam Ibrahim. I said, you can look inside if you want to see it, fine. But don't go rubbing on it. And I promise you, I've seen people rubbing the whole haram. They walk with their hands on the walls. Every wall they go, every pillar they go, it's, you know, seeking blessings. But it's it's just a pillar. Do you understand? Look, Zamzam is blessed, but obviously to wash your clothes with it, I mean, what's the benefit in that, right? You drink Zamzam, you rub it on your skin, and that's, that's not a problem. To wash your clothes in Zamzam? Allah Allah. Um, so what happened was is, in the time of the Prophet they pay, they passed by a tree. And the Mushrikeen used to hang their weapons on this tree. So they came towards the tree and you see this tree with weapons hanging on it. Why did they hang the weapons on the tree? They believed it was a blessed tree. If you hang your things on this tree, so it will protect you, it will serve as, you know. And so some of the Sahaba said, Ya Rasulullah, Ija'al lana dhatu anwatin kama lahum dhatu anwat. Make for us that and what the tree's name was that and what they call the tree that and what give us that and what like this tree just like they have. And Rasulullah became extremely upset and angry and he said, Allahu Akbar, these are traditions you are following, like the traditions of those who came before you. By the one in, whom, in whose hand is my soul, you have spoken as the children of Israel, Israel, or Bani Israel spoke to Musa. Make us a God as they have gods. In the Quran this comes. What happened was these after they were saved from Fir'aun. They got onto the other side. And they found these people worshipping things and they said to Musa, give us also something like this. 
give us a God like this, like they have. And Musa also became furious. After Allah saved you, this is what you are saying. The Prophet said to these people, you are saying like the people of, of Musa said to him, the same type of ignorance. Right? And these were, and the key to this hadith is this. The narrator of the hadith, I don't even mention the notes, but the narrator says, we were new in Islam. They were new Muslims when this happened. Which means they were not taught everything yet. So they said this out of ignorance. The point is, this is not an Islamic tradition or practice. That you make something blessed and everybody comes to it and rubs on it and takes from it and seeks blessing from it. This is an un-Islamic practice. So you will see this amongst many Muslims. They go to graves, for example, the Karamats, and they rub themselves. They are believers blessed and they rub it on themselves and protection for themselves, protection from evil eye, and all type of things. All of this is innovation which can lead to major shirk. It can lead to major shirk because you are now believing that that is my protector. This is what's protecting me. This is what's preserving me. This is what is saving me. This is what's curing me. And so forth. Whereas that's actually the role of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if you want blessings, raise your hands to Allah. Ask Allah for protection. Ask Allah for cure. Ask Allah for whatever you need. It's not going to be found in anything physical like that. Not in the haram. Not anywhere else. The virtues of the haram is to make salah in the haram, you get a hundred thousand times more reward than anywhere else. Madinah's haram, a thousand times more than anywhere else. Arafah is about dua. The rest of the year, Arafah, who's there? Not a single soul is there. If you go to Arafah any time of the year, you won't find a single person there except those who are cleaning up. So, what's the virtue of the Jabal now? What's the virtue of the sand and the this? Nothing. It's ordinary said. It's on that day Allah makes those plains blessed that those who are there, they must make dua and Allah accept their dua. Beyond that, it's not about the dust and the sand and the tree. It's not about taking a scoop of sand and bringing it home and saying, this is the sand of Arafah. And then you throw it on your musalla and you stand on that sand it's time you make dua. This is not how Islam works, right? So the mountain is not holy. It's an ordinary mountain, Right? So we don't uh, do anything of that nature. Some people think it's essential to pray the Lord and Asr with the Imam in the mosque. You see them going to that place from far away so that they can be with the Imam. If you are on Arafah, pray again in your tent. You don't need to go to a big masjid far away to pray. Pray with your group in your tent, Jama'ah, Lord Asr, and you carry on. Right? You don't need to go uh, far away. This is the same thing the Prophet said. I'm standing here and all of this is a place of standing. Right? Not actually in Arafah. Na- Namira. Namira, yes. Just outside of Arafah. Just outside. So what will happen is they give a big khutbah there. They give the khutbah from that masjid, yes. So those who are in the masjid, they can attend. Those who are outside, it's on the loudspeakers. You won't understand in any case. Right? It's obviously in Arabic. And, and secondly, it's, it's difficult not, to hear from where you are. And it's not part of the Namirah is just outside Arafah, right? Off, off the masjid. Oh, the way they built it. Usually, Namirah is just just before Arafah, like just outside. So, so is built off, off. 
off off. But again, you don't want to go make salah there. You don't need to go make salah there, basically. You make salah wherever you are in your camp. To get there is far. And is it's very far. You'll get lost. Seriously, because it's like a maze, man. You won't know what's happening. It's only those, the agents, they are taught. This is your route. Follow your route and finish. The bus drivers know the routes. The normal people don't know the routes. You know the way to get in and out, but to get to a specific camp, you won't know unless somebody taught you on a map or something. This is how it's it's made and so forth. Um, Another issue is some people leave before the sun sets. They go to Muzdalifah. Right? This is not the sunnah. It should not be done. As we said, the best time is before the sun sets. To try and maximize that time and not to leave before that. Some, again, it's difficult with the group. It's difficult with the group. If the group decides to leave, sometimes what they do is they get in the bus before the time. They take you to the bus. They take you in the bus or they drive to the borders of Arafah and they wait. wait. So you're still inside Arafah. The only thing is that I mean, are you moving, you're traveling, it's not like you're sitting there. It's not the same thing, it's not the same feeling. But remember, put yourself in the frame of mind. You are still in Arafah. It's the best time for dua. Say the duas. Right? Hopefully the group will not leave you for Arafah. I hope not. Sometimes they do, uh, unfortunately. But um, hopefully, inshallah, they will remain. Otherwise, you make dua as long as you can, you know, till your time is up. So we say that you should stay within the bounds of Arafah until the sun sets, because the standing lasts until the sun sets. So according to, this is the words of Ibn Uthaymin Avya, he says it's not permissible to leave. Just like it's not permissible for a passing person to eat before sun sets. Right? So don't leave unless you're forced to leave. Unless you are forced to leave. This, going to Muzdalifah, we'll do from next week, inshallah. Are there any questions? Muzdalifah is very quick and easy. And then Mina is, it's not, I know this is so complicated. It's just about proceeding it in your mind, this is what we're going to do, so forth. But it's quite simple. Alhamdulillah. No questions? Tayyib, sallallahu ala nabiyin Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha 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 